0: Welcome to today's webinar, Moving Forward Through Transition, Lessons to Stay Nimble in 2021, the final webinar in our Leadership Through Crisis series. Virginia Mason Institute is a mission-driven nonprofit education and training organization that helps organizations worldwide create cultures of continuous improvement. My name is Tad Aquat, and I'm pleased to introduce today's expert panel. Val Ferris is an executive sensei here at Virginia Mason Institute. Her passion is to work collaboratively with leadership and teams to improve quality for patients and staff. Prior to her work here at the Institute, Val's leadership experience includes perioperative and procedural services, emergency department, hospitalist services, and Kaizen promotion office. Robbie Bishop is a senior transformation sensei here at the Institute. In his 19 plus years at Virginia Mason, Robbie's experience includes direct patient care as an audiologist, leadership within the Kaizen promotion office, along with operational leadership in oncology, perioperative services, and ambulatory care. Melissa Lin is a transformation sensei here at the Institute. She coaches and guides healthcare leaders and providers worldwide through their cultural transformation toward lean as their management method. In today's webinar will be hosted again by Chris Backus. Chris Backus is a senior transformation sensei here at the Institute, and he leads improvement activities, workshops, and training for healthcare leaders and providers worldwide. You're encouraged to ask questions throughout the session today using the GoToWebinar question tool. Today's session will also be recorded and you will receive a link to the recording and Q&A transcript via email following this session. Thank you so much for attending. And before I hand it over to Chris, we have a special message from Virginia Mason Health System Chairman and CEO, Dr. Gary Kaplan.
1: Welcome back to our Virginia Mason Institute webinar series on leadership through the COVID-19 crisis. It's a a privilege to uh, have a chance again to uh, say hello and wish you well, share ideas Uh, as we uh, continue uh, to address the challenges and, frankly, the opportunities and silver linings that have come from uh, this uh, tragic uh, COVID-19 pandemic that's impacting all of us, both here in the United States and around the world. One of the things that we've learned uh, as we've gone through this since early March, so it's been many months now, is the power And the importance of a management system. As we stood up our command center, we used our Virginia Mason production system principles, the common language. We mapped the workflows and the value streams on our command center walls to to create a visual workplace. And the results have been really gratifying. Because of the management system, we were really able to accelerate uh, our work uh, to within days stand up new isolation units with reverse air flow that was safe uh, for our COVID-19 patients and safe for our staff and other non-COVID patients in our hospital. We were able to convert the vast majority of our ambulatory visits uh, to telemedicine and telehealth. Uh, I believe that the deep understanding of our workflows uh, allowed us to really jump the curve, to move from dabbling uh, in telehealth, to really systematically putting it in place it in place in every single service line. This couldn't have happened as rapidly as it did without our management system. And finally, I think with or without COVID-19, the imperative of continuous learning, to being a learning organization, and to being curious, continuously learning leaders. That's what's going to make our organization successful. Uh, The world around us is changing at an unprecedented pace. But what the management system does and what the leadership of the management system allows is the ability to be nimble, to be flexible, and to quickly adapt to the very complex challenges that are here today facing all of us in healthcare and promise to be here tomorrow and in the years ahead. We think this management system is all about sustaining the excellence of today, but building for the excellence of the future. So thank you again for joining us in this webinar series. I'll look forward to many more opportunities to share ideas uh, in the days, weeks, and months ahead.
0: Thank you, Gary, for that message. Now I'd like to hand it over to Chris.
2: Well, hello everyone. It is so good to have you back. This is the third in our series. And today's um, a fun day for me because I get to interact with my colleagues um, and just share lessons from our initial experiences at Virginia Mason on the Gemba, as well as um, what we've experienced in delivering differently and what we've experienced um, in helping our clients continue to respond and continue to move through the crisis to um, really what's amounted to a reset, uh, not a a stopgap measure, but we've now changed the way we do our work and we will probably move forward from this. So it'll be interesting to hear. Um, Robbie and Val actually had an opportunity to be part of the operational experience of Virginia Mason at the beginning. And I'm wondering, Robbie, if you wanted to just kind of start from um, an insight perspective, um, what what was it? Because you were still operationally um, accountable for some specialty areas. You want to talk about what it was like for you at the initial onset and then um, how that evolved?
3: Sure, sure, sure. So I had the privilege of being the director of general thoracic and vascular surgery. So it's a large clinic ambulatory setting We have services in multiple buildings downtown and then um, had providers who went to regional medical centers. You know, as you that's a great question, Chris, because it reminds me of what we all were experiencing in the beginning of COVID, right? There was a lot of confusion. The things we take for granted now, just the importance of social distancing, the importance of masking, the importance of washing our hands, not all that was apparent in the beginning. So if you put yourself in the shoes of a patient, they're trying to balance their safety with their medical condition, right? So for us, we were working to conserve PPE and to conserve hospital beds for potential spikes in with COVID patients. So a number of surgeries had to be paused. And so patients were having to balance that, right? And then as an organization, we were balancing changes in demand. So we were seeing some areas with significant spikes, like the emergency department. You know, I, I like to say cancer doesn't stop for anyone. So our oncology services kept going. We saw uh, th- those services still needing a, a, a large team to support them. And some of our medical specialties, where some of our surgical and procedural specialties saw a decrease. So we saw the changes in demand. And then just as an individual frontline team member, the things that people had to deal with, right? So they were worried about their safety, but they're also balancing that with their mission to serve others, right? And to come to work and to serve others. Things were changing on where they worked, how they worked, when they worked, all of those things were changing to meet the demand. And then just life, right? So the life of now our kids are having to do remote learning or our spouse might have been, you know, furloughed or laid off potentially. So you're balancing that how i get to work is changing because our bus system was changing in seattle so people were coming into it with a lot of evolution and a lot of newness to it and just the the anxiety of the safety Um, a quote that i've used over many many years to help myself and to help my teams is i think it's everybody is fighting a battle that you know nothing about so be kind always i think this is a great. This was great for me and my team as we were working through this is I don't know what's happening in someone's personal life or the challenge that they're facing. So let's use our respect for people principles as we move forward. Right. So that's that's really a good perspective to start with is all the things that were happening and continue to happen for people is we have to be kind. We have to work with each other to get through it.
2: Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's uh, such a good point about the respect for people elements. And we know that one of our 10 elements of respect is to share information. And one of the things we heard earlier in one of our first webinars with Dr. Kaplan was the importance of information that was changing daily and um, those structures. And Val, I know that you were part of the um, hospital daily safety huddles that we had and how that standard work of having that in place really allowed for um, kind of a a nice connection to the crisis response. Can you speak a little bit about the importance of having that structure in place and how that really helped us just move right into responding to this crisis?
4: Well, thank you, Chris. Um, So I served in a role with the executives of the hospital command center that supported the incident command center. Um, We're a 240 bed hospital. And like you said, Chris, I think the thing I was struck with and I was grateful for was the structures that had been in place as standard work prior to the event, which kind of lead to the ideas of daily management and cross-functional management. As you said, the very strongest piece is this daily safety huddle and I'm sure many of you in the audience have that or some maybe have different parts of it. We have a a safety huddle that has cross-functional management from clinical operational support services. And so what was really great was that as the incident command center was getting up, the information could go right to the safety huddle that day and then create communication and standard work. That led into daily management at the unit level. So immediately had that. And from that, different um, huddles occurred. And for the hospital command center, we did the same thing did daily huddles in the beginning of the day, end of the day, that then synchronized with the incident commandment center so that standard work and communication could come out. I reflect on that time and I think every day there was a different piece of standard work that came out that was revised every day because there was so much we didn't know. We utilized daily huddle cards and those pieces, but that safety huddle, which was a really transparent way to share information earlier in our experience, just served as a great piece for there, and I know that many of you found that when you were working with your management system, having that huddle structure was critical.
2: It's such a good reminder of that um, very famous quote that we use often from know, without standards, there can be no improvement. Cool. And Melissa, you know you and I have both had that opportunity when the crisis hit not only did our work change but the we were the first people called by our clients um i think that really speaks well to the kind of trusted advisor trusted relationship we have that you know at times of great uncertainty they reached out to us not only for the virginia mason experience that robbie and can represent for us but also just you know um is there something that you can do to help us you know from your expertise and And I I don't know about you, but I think one of the first things I had to remind people is you have systems in place. You're just not using them for the crisis, but you can use them for the crisis. Did you have any conversations early on with any of your clients on that?
5: Yeah, that's a great question. I think consistently client to client, client, past and present. Uh, there was consistently a reflection about, you know, how they could rely on some of the the tools and and the concepts that they had learned um, from the Virginia Mason production system, and, and most specifically, uh, time and again, it was the 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 general concept of daily management. And so, many of our my clients personally were talking about how they had. At Val's point, huddles previously in place, or they had uh, visual management boards that originally was meant to manage the work that they typically were accustomed to, whether it was on an inpatient floor, if they were a corporate service um, uh, department. And then when COVID hit, they kind of looked around and said, How can we reconfigure this board? There's a, a portion of our work that is no longer. Um, emergent. It, it's not at the, the front of, of mind for us, but we still have other things we need to do to respond to the pandemic now. Uh, so how can we rejigger some of that um, those boards or how can we modify our huddles that we had in place? Um, so it was really, really great to hear uh, folks kind of thinking about, okay, well, what, where can we Where can we rely on some of the the previous uh, things that we put into place because of the world class management system. Um, But there was also some opportunities where I think people have also reflected on, wow, we thought we knew our business and that was supposed to be the point of daily management. And golly, we have no idea how much PPE we actually have. We have no idea where it is. We have no idea who has a surplus in one uh, corner of the hospital versus others that is complete dearth of of PPE whatsoever. Um, So so there's just been some reflections as well of panic purchases because they didn't know. Uh, And I think there uh, there's some really interesting opportunities um, with my clients today talking about, hey, we're about to hit the second wave or we're in the midst of the second wave, but we're better prepared now because we have better management uh, boards in place to help us really be able to, to make um, more informed decisions. So just really interesting to, to hear those reflections recently.
2: And I'm noticing all of our heads kind of nodding. And I think we've all been involved in conversations lately where it, it is less stressful. People um, are feeling more reassured that they actually do have a management system and it's, it's really allowing them to learn what they need to learn that maybe they, like PPE for example, we really don't know what we have. And so that, but not having to do anything different, but just lean into the method more to understand. And I think about just the power of a single method shared across many people. Robbie, I, I remember early on when you were still supporting um, operations, you reached out to me and said, I've just been tasked with this strategic staffing work and, hey, do you have any ideas? And we just kind of bounce some ideas back and forth. And I think it's that power of collaboration across a, a system that is sharing a method. Um, I think it also speaks to the um, the trust we have within each other as teammates that, you know, um, we have a shared method and by by working together, we'll come up with good options. Can you talk a little bit more, Robbie, about that, um, you know, the strategic staffing and, and how that not only was put in place, but had to immediately evolve?
3: Yeah, yeah, that's a good question, Chris. Um, for me, my learnings within, with COVID were about the importance of going back to the basics. So as you and I talked about strategic staffing, we really had a conversation about understanding your demand, right? So the importance of where is the demand within the organization um, and where what are the skills needed to meet that demand? So we needed to set up processes to both understand the demand and also the skill set of our resources within the organization. And for us, the demand was, how we looked at demand, this goes to Melissa's point. We thought we knew it, but we had to dive a little bit deeper. So for example, in some some sections, they were seeing a huge spike in phone calls, right? So they knew their day-to-day phone volumes, but they really focused on the inpatient visits. But with COVID, the importance of rescheduling was a new piece of demand. The importance of of triaging and and setting up processes for virtual visits was a new demand for the team. So understanding that was critically important because it wasn't always about the patient who is in front of you in person. It might be the virtual patient or the phone call triage or the surgeon who has to continually follow up with the patient whose surgical case has been delayed because of PPE shortages, right? So you had to understand your demand ways and then work across departments, right? And think of our team as a resource. So for example, the clinic it was working with the hospital to do contingency planning. So what are the skill sets of the nurses who are in the clinic and what can they do to help support the hospital if we did see a significant surge, right? So that contingency planning had to go on, but you had to understand at a nurse by nurse level, his or her skill sets, right? And then and then the hospital needed to know where, they're, where they could use those resources and what the type of um, need will be. So those connection points were really important. Is understanding it on a on a department level, an organizational level, and then with uh, across departments it was really
1: important.
2: You know, and uh, Melissa, you talked about the importance of PPE, and Val, I know that um, that was a real operational concern for the organization, especially in the hospital. With this, um, you know, the the trajectory for many patients who are very ill were the critical care units. So having enough. PPE, not just the, uh, the like ventilators we've heard a lot about in the news, but just the the basics of being of having the tools to do your work. And I know that there um, very quickly over time um, we developed uh, you know like a supply and demand um, calculator or just a daily dashboard to say based yeah. on where we are we have these needs. Um, is that something that's still in place with the hospital, Val?
4: Yes. um, So, um, demand and capacity is based on the flow of patients that are coming into the hospital, and as many of you all know, we don't know exactly how many are come. So, what we developed was a demand and capacity based on conventional contingency, contingency and crisis, and looking at the volumes of what that would mean, which would then relate to the number of COVID patients that are positive the number of ones that are infectious and the places that you need the PPE and the resources to support the patients. And I think about where that was developed. That was developed in the hospital command center and taking a step back, the leadership in that command center was executive administrative leadership with very strong BMPS skills to develop visual controls, to actually collaborate with analytics to develop models and those pieces. And then the Kaizen Promotion Office providing that information. It was really, really kind of chunky at first. We just had pieces of paper on the wall. But now today, every day, we get a projection of how many cases we have today based on what's happening in the region, if it's gonna be low, medium, or high. So like for today, we have 11 patients in the hospital, 171 cases in King County, and we can project where those patients are going to fall in conventional contingency crisis which then relates Chris to what you're saying as far as what are the resources be it the people the space or the PPE and the PPE team was very integrated and it's just amazing to see the tools that they utilize to both manage demand and capacity and also manage donations to figure out how do you utilize those different tools that may may you think are right, but probably aren't the right one to use. Again, it's that big part of the management system that you were talking about, Melissa, about demanding capacity and being a step ahead of the game um, with leadership that understands how to apply those methods.
2: You know, we've been, it it feels like for the, you know, seven months now since um, things started to shut down in the Seattle area, and um, it feels like every day is a lesson in the importance of understanding all of the flows of medicine, you know, the patient, the family, providers of all levels, supplies, medication, information, equipment. And, you know, we, we have this graphic that we teach from that has the flows of medicine as a um, DNA double helix. And I think we've all kind of felt that. Importance of it. it's not one thing ever; it's many, uh, but it's the one method that we have to lean in. We do have a, a question from um, one of our friends in the UK about, um, and I think this goes back to what we were talking about with respect for people. It's the um, you know just some insights on maintaining a positive speak up culture. Um, and so you know, for us, one of our ten elements of respect for people is speaking up and uh, listening to understand, walking in the shoes of others. So I'm wondering if you just each want to, we'll start with Melissa, since you do quite a bit of work in the UK. Um, what what thoughts do you have or advice would you give about the um, maintaining a positive speak-up culture in times of stress like we are all going through?
5: Yeah, I, I know um, there's been a lot of work in the NHS as it relates to the uh, speak up, guardians, and, and really trying to inculcate that environment where it should be safe to to be able to say, "Hey, on a minute, I think we might be embarking on something that might be dangerous for the patients, might be dangerous for um, our team." Um, and so, how do we how do we continue to um, really support that type of culture? And I think one of the things that we have to to acknowledge is um, how do we how do we embrace the fact that those are really those early signals of something that might be going wrong in in an organization. And it's the one, two little data points um, around uh, the trust or or your healthcare system that we need to be capturing. Um, And so if we can kind of change our mental model of, um, oh, it's you know, going from, you know, it's that person who just all, is always complaining, is always talking about what's not working to hang on a minute, this person might be um, the early detector of a huge root cause problem that is gonna really just shut down the entire organization. So what an incredible opportunity to, to have a good catch and be able to, to avoid something um, tremendously dramatic to, to the organization. So I think um, considering ways of, Maybe uh, encouraging uh, speaking up. Uh, you know whether or not that is through um, you know through. The- uh celebrating people who who mentioned something um you know offering tickets of of applause or or what have you or if it it really kind of in our in our scenarios if you have a culture already of continuous improvement that participatory nature of hang on a minute i get to speak up and i get an opportunity to actually solve the problem too how incredible will that feel um to to have ownership of taking care of our, our patients so I think there's just a couple of different ways to, to really support um, that speak up
1: culture.
2: Yeah, and I think the value when people feel empowered um, to speak up and share, um, really Value talked about how something that's very systematic now, this tool of understanding demand capacity, it started with ideas and then it became pieces of paper and quick sketches. And then you 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 know you did it. It's the, the ultimate PDSA, right? But it's that importance of starting with the idea. And we talk about improvement, that the the greatest currency we have is not the money available to us, but the ideas. Ideas are our currency before anything else. And that culture of speaking up really invites ideas to come forward. Um, You know, uh, Robbie and Val, I'm wondering, you know, you're newer to um, the outward sharing of resources with our clients. So you've you kind of in your transition year, um, last couple of years, kind of doing both. I'm wondering, um, what has been your experience in working with clients? Do you feel that you're encouraging them to listen to their teams more? What's the speak up culture um, aspect uh, for both of you? Robbie, why don't you go first?
3: Sure, sure. Um, You know, when you you talked about our flows of medicine and the double helix that connects the flows, I think about something similar with our respect for people behaviors. A speak-up culture really starts with a leader who's sharing information, right? They're sharing what they know, and they're also sharing what they don't know. That's a critically important piece of being vulnerable as a leader is sharing what you don't know especially in terms of crisis i think the importance of sharing information and also the importance of listening to understand right so as someone shares a concern there's the concern that they're saying but you have to really listen to understand it because there may be a couple more layers underneath that right so talking about the importance of understanding what people are going through individually right there may be concerns around safety that they're expressing but they're not saying it so you really have to ask a few clarifying questions really dive into what they're really trying to say because those those three are connected the importance of sharing information listening to understand creates that culture that allows people to raise a concern because they know it's going to be listened to but um, speaking up and people feeling comfortable with that doesn't just happen it happens because you focus on the other nine foundational behaviors of respect for people
4: So Chris, um, do you want me to respond? or come? So in my work with um, about two or three different organizations with VMI, the beauty of it is that all of them are integrating respect for people, concepts, listening to understand, walking in other people's shoes, all those elements, and they're integrating it with their management training. Um, and I know that others have heard at Virginia Mason, we didn't do that early on. In fact, the respect for people concepts came later. And if we were to do it over again, we would have done it earlier, but it was just part of our learning journey. So I think that the blend of the respect for people and Kaizen just kind of continues to get back to that idea that you listen to the people. They are the ones that know the truth. That's where the truth stands. So I feel that that's a key piece And in reflection, I just want to, I have to take a moment to go back to the question that Melissa answered with the crisis. I know that when we did debriefs with different organizations, they command and control and the speak up and how do you balance that? Because in a crisis you do need a little bit of command and control, but then how do you bring that together? And as the days went on through huddles and sharing ideas, it's getting back to it. But at the beginning, it felt a little uncomfortable because it was a little bit counter to that. Um, so with the debriefs that we did with our clients, which is you know the Hansai from um, Toyota, um, it was a way to kind of reflect on that and think about how do you do a better job with that and be a learning mm-hmm. organization. So I just wanted to weave that in a little bit.
2: I think that's, and that's such a great segue to another question that we had from another one of our listeners who sent in early. I also want to put in a plug that we are seeing your uh, questions come live, and we will be opening up for questions, but as I see them coming, I'm trying to work them in, so please make use of your uh, question tool on the web. We are listening. But um, this idea of command control, which is... um, you know, old leadership style versus more of the um, leader. We, you know, we teach our our leaders um, through the Institute when we interact with our executive teams um, to be problem framers, not problem solvers. So come with the method, um, help people frame their problem, but don't solve it for them. Let them use the tools and methods to um, come up with those solutions. Have you found that... um, In working with some of our clients that um, there's the, you know, the test of whether they're really learning is will they lean into the method or they go back to their old habits. And I'm just wondering um, if any of you have had an experience where um, you've seen them really lean in uh, uh, to the method, even if it's brand new for them. Has anyone had any experience there?
3: I, I've been working with a brand new client in the UK and we're trying to teach them on a every week basis. So we have about 60 to 90 minutes with the group every single week. And we create coaching opportunities also. So basically twice a week, we have a formal session and then an informal coaching. And we're seeing people come to the coaching sessions with these practical applications that we've asked them to look into and apply to their work. Just going full on and really deep into using it. So we had a provider who went into a challenge that they were facing. He had his waste walk completed. He looked at his flows of medicine, and he really needed some coaching about how do I take this information forward. So we emphasized the importance of understanding your current state first. And so we coached him on the importance of you know, this is the first step in understanding your currency. There's a more steps that we have to go. So we walked them through what that could look like. And then we talked through the importance of getting the people who do the work around the table so they can hear this information and then you can work with them to come up with a solution. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so for example, there was a process where the patients were coming in and checking in clinic, And there was a challenge there with screening certain information. And so he brought that whole team together. And that one piece of request from the provider to that team that they come up with a solution was mind blowing for them. It was transformational for a small clinic where that's never been done before. So those small steps of giving people the kind of different way of looking at it really makes a huge difference.
2: Great. So I want to shift our focus. Uh, we're moving into our our second um, half of our conversation, and um, what a great segue to think about not responding to the crisis, but moving through and and um, you know, kind of establishing what you know, for lack of a better term, the new normal is uh, with organizations. I do want to point out that we're getting um, questions about the topics we're talking about, so I think that's great. And I just want to remind people that if you go to the Virginia Mason Institute.org and in our search bar, um, put some of these topics down, you'll find blog posts from all of us. Melissa, you have a, a very recent blog post. Um, do you want to talk just to give us a brief commercial about that blog post? Because I think it's yeah. relevant to our conversation.
5: Yeah, so I did pub- published a blog post just last month, I think. And- it's really kind of tackling I suppose the, the mental model that we all have that Kaizen can only be done if you're on the genba if you're on the shop floor and you're touching the things that you need to touch it, that is part of the, the, the process and um, and I think for some for some of us that's created a little bit of paralysis right so so do we just not do any of our Kaizen events at all do we do we just cease all the RPIWs or rapid process of improvement events mm-hmm. until we can physically be next to each other. Uh, but we've seen, or certainly for us personally at Virginia Mason, but also with some of our clients who've been really bold and have really leaned into their management system and realized that you can still do improvement work um, and you can do it socially distanced and you can also take full advantage of what we have with 21st. Centric technology to to make it easier to do improvement so the blog post gives you a couple of tips and, and tricks on on how to, to um, take it full advantage of that because you know kaizen stops for no one but we've got ways to eliminate like no no other so we, we just got to keep going I,
2: you know it's funny uh robbie val and i uh we've had a chance to help an organization design a new ambulatory surgery center for orthopedic care And normally we'd say, we can only do this by being on site with you and um, working with your team. And we had two provocations. Um, They hadn't hired their team yet because this is new work for them and COVID-19 wouldn't let us be on site with them. And yet we managed to uh, do a lean facility design um, work uh, virtually across five states and, um, you know, that was a pretty amazing experience to get out of our own comfort zone and really just trust our own processes. Um, so uh, just a, again, a reminder search on the topics, and you'll find lots of um, the things that we're talking about. Um, we have a, a great question um, from one of our um, one of our listeners, and it's, you know, what have you learned?" in this the last six months. Um both, you know, because I think we've all supported work at Virginia Mason. I, I know I've led a couple improvement events, helped design a new clinic. Um you know even even in you know the this time we still found a way to come together. We've been helping uh break some of the barriers about really moving into virtual care delivery, not just as a stopgap measure, but the way we'll do our business going forward. So um, You know, what are some of your lessons learned uh, over the last six months um, with COVID-19? How about we start with uh, Robbie, then Val, then Melissa?
3: Um, That's a good question, Chris. I would say my biggest learning is the importance of going back to the basics and applying them in, in new ways, right? Our demand is changing, so we have to apply them in new ways. I'm thinking through the request that our executive director, Sarah Patterson, gave was because we were seeing more demand for our virtual delivery of our, our of our A, she wanted to bring a team together to get ideas about how we could continue to add high quality to the to the participants, but continue to meet the demand. So within about a 10-day period of this becoming a challenge, we brought a small team together. I led them through a three-hour idea generation session which allowed us to then start to plan out how we might use some of these ideas. So it was three hours, we used some key principles that we would use in a production preparation process, which is a formal process of reinventing our services, but we applied it on a smaller scale. So really, again, going back to the basics, what's the challenge? What can I use within the Virginia Mason production system to address this challenge, be it you know, key principles of innovation or, or basics of 5S. We've been talking with a number of our clients about 5S and the importance of understanding that. We talked about demand and capacity. So that's a key learning for me is going back to really that base knowledge and looking how you can apply it to this new challenge because the challenges are always going to come. And so our base knowledge is a great place to start.
2: Mm -hmm. Val, how about you?
4: So I think that a lot of what you shared, Robbie, I would agree with you because the system is just a gift. And so for me, what I've learned is that the management system is a gift for you to continue to move forward. And I remember way back when when Chris, Robbie and I were way back when beginning with Virginia Masons, that whole idea of fail forward quickly and just be nimble. I have to admit, there've been times it have been really uncomfortable. Like when we did this that 3P, I thought you got to be kidding me doing a virtual 3P. And then it's like, wow, it's great. So it gets your greatest creativity out with the management system. And then I've really um, appreciated the importance of some of those respect for people listening to understand. And with the people I work with across the country to really listen to them, and even though it's virtual or not present, to really understand where they're at and how to move forward using the management system. Um, I just listened to Gary's voice at the beginning where he talks about the silver lining and the fact that the system helps you move through. And it's something I take for granted. It's been a part of my leadership for the past 20 years, but it's such a gift. Mm
2: -hmm. Melissa?
5: Yeah, so there's one thing that just keeps on coming back to me over and over again. um, it, it's that it's no better time than right now to reevaluate and redefine value in a post-COVID world. Mm-hmm. So I think we've had these mental valleys and preconceived notions, and I think industry-wise or whatever health system that you're operating in, we've had these very specific ideas of how you can deliver care, or you know where that we're going to get paid in order to to do this care, etc. And to some extent, I think given the urgency of of a global pandemic, we've had um, some gifts that come with that silver lining. And so there's now an opportunity for any one of us to kind of say, what does the patient actually value today? Because I can guarantee to you that it's so very different from what it was eight months ago. Um, Mm -hmm. Virtual visits is the easiest example, right? We had a preconceived notion that you had to go to the doctor's office, you had to go to the hospital to see your physician or your provider, get that consult, and and then maybe move forward through the rest of the process. Mm -hmm. And now to to think that a lot of that type one waste, the assumption that you had to drive, you had to go find a parking, space and all those things completely out the window now so what else can we do to to apply those similar ideas we don't have to make decisions by committee anymore because turns out if you use the process if you actually use your management system you probably actually find the best solutions out of it and so how do we embrace that accelerated um, decision making um, but also sure to, to robbie's point Let's make sure that we're using the basics. Let's make sure that we're using our tools and understanding the current state, so that we can create a way better future state for ourselves. For
2: example. I think, um, you know, from my my point of view, I think the the thing that I've spent a lot of time reflecting after having conversations with clients and and with my teammates is, you know, prior to COVID, um, we dealt a lot with either or situations, and we spent a lot of time justifying. The either or, the or, or defending, you know, and um, and now it it feels like in this sense of urgency, it's both and, you know, we have to continue running the business and we must respond to COVID, but we have to keep our doors open because people still need our services, and I think the um, the challenge of the crisis has allowed us to see that you know, when we focus on, to your point, value, Melissa, you talked about value, um, value talked about meaningfulness, you know, what do patients value, um, what matters to our people? Is there a way of igniting, um, curiosity and, um, excitement in doing something in a new and different, better way? I think that we start to see that, um, we've always had what we needed. We didn't have to create anything from scratch. Um, Our method was always there. It's just, we, um, we learned so much by leaning into it um, through this, this period. And I think going forward, I think one that I've been spending a lot of time with my clients lately, um, kind of reassessing strategic priorities, because um, it's not going back. It's, going forward with um, more than more challenges than you had before. You know, people are trying to get back on their feet financially um, opening the doors. So flow um, clinic flow is so important now, which to me means, you know, it's, it's about, you know, what type of access are patients asking for, but also what's the waste that's keeping them from um, that access that they desire. And sometimes it's the, Uh, The mental valleys we all have, we're going to go back to doing clinic visits and scheduling things versus we're going to interact with our patients. We're going to deliver. We're learning that we're delivering services virtually that we used to do, um, you know, in in person. We've completely restructured our advanced training to real time virtual engagement um, um, and people are responding well to it. So if you had advice for people listening, um, without taking the their, their eyes and ears off of what's happening with COVID-19, what advice would you give to people as they continue to move forward? And um, Melissa, how about you start, and then Val, then Robbie.
5: Put me on the spot, Chris.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to look to see who, was lit up the most you know it's where we're learning with this virtual environment it's it's how what you see really affects um your next step so go for i'm
5: gonna it. go i'm gonna go high level so and it was just because you reminded me of it as you were talking chris um i'm hoping that what we can learn from this pandemic and what we can take forward and and not let go of that feeling is that uh, this global pandemic has taught us that Changes are happening every day. We get new information every single day. Masks, no masks, aerosolized, not aerosolized, who knows what it is, but there's always this constant change in the environment. And so I'm hoping that for all of us, as we think about what we can take back and and continue to improve our own healthcare organizations is that change is always happening. And and so embrace that opportunity to, to improve what you know today. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't, and I think the pandemic made it super real for, for many of us, is that if we wait until the dust settles, people die, right? And so there was that sense of urgency that really created that hyper-focused um, staff in all of the organizations that we've been working with amongst our clients. And so how can we use that, that idea of, things are always going to be changing so don't wait to make it perfect don't don't launch a year long process to design and plan something out because who knows what will happen from there so i I think many of us constantly use the 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 quote of don't let perfect be the enemy of of the good and i think hopefully we'll have um, embraced that truly um, from the pandemic because gosh if we had all waited I can't even imagine what the toll would have been globally for all of us. So, how do let's let's continue with that, that idea?
2: Yeah, I'm smiling about that, um, Melissa, because so uh, um, in the first, uh, you know, so 60 days after we uh, realized that we couldn't deliver our services the way we had planned for advanced training, we offered a new program. We used our own method. We rapid cycle developed. We knew it wasn't going to be perfect, but we did it. Um, and we delivered. And one of the first uh, attendees in that first cohort was keeping a phrase book of all my isms. And it was funny. She not only categorized them, but she actually quantified how often I said certain things. And the one thing that I said over and over and over again was better is better. You know, and it's it's kind of like that, you know, it's the partner to the quote you were sharing about perfection is the enemy it's better is better folks. Um, and I think that's what we have learned is just, you know, we have to do something, let's do something. It will be better and we will learn. So Robbie, how about you?
3: Um, you know, I was writing down uh, the importance of a, the PDSA cycle and this kind of goes to what Melissa was talking about. Um, is truly understanding your objectives. I have a, again, a client in the UK and they were, they were working through this process of a referral coming from a, of a primary care team to a specialty team. And they were looking at the referral process and the, the general practitioners weren't sending the right information in a timely manner. And we just talked a lot about what's the objective you're trying to achieve versus this one specific process that you're attacking. you think that that's the process, if we just fix that, we're going to be fine. And so we took a step back and the objective was timely quality care, right? So the objective was they wanted timely care and this referral was an important piece to them. And so we just talked about own the objective, don't own your perception of the solution. The solution in their mind was we just got to fix this referral process. They need to own the objective which is timely quality care, right? Timing, meaning we can contact the patient. Quality, meaning we have the right information in order to schedule them in the right way. So that was important to them. So taking that step back. And then just the importance of a plan, do study, act cycle is to Melissa's point is try something, right? You're not gonna have every piece of information you would like, but get a plan, try it out, study the results have a change in your thinking and either implement that new process or run a new plan to study X cycle. So those are the two things that come to mind when you ask that question.
2: Okay. And Val, for you, sure, I just want to remind people that we have about um, five minutes left for questions. So please keep them coming. We've slowed down a little bit in our, um, in our uh, question tools, So please uh, use the questions. And um, Val, some thoughts from you.
4: So, um, as I think about both what Melissa and Robbie said i would I would concur with that, and then i I think that what my advice would be is as much as you can as you progress to embed things in standard work, so some organizations are kind of keeping their incident command as a place where everything happens, and this covid situation's here for another for a long time, so how do you embed things in operations and standard work rather than keeping it a response system and it isn't commands? Because some are still running the. have transition some of that to operations. Just that little piece. And then just one of the things that I feel I didn't say earlier is the role of leadership and the power of reflection and debrief. Many times do it see about what you can do, what are the gaps and how can you accelerate forward? Um, A lot of people are choosing to say, I can't do Kaizen because of COVID. Well, the reality is there's so much waste and there are areas where perhaps you can improve, where it might be the hotspot of where your organization is. So maybe reprioritizing areas to continue to remove waste because there's so much and organizations have to continue to perform at the highest level of excellence. So that role of leadership reflection moving forward and then just getting things into standard work from the PDSAs that Robbie's talking about as well.
2: You know, I think about a, a recent blog post that I wrote about one of my clients who at the time of um, crisis said, um, the, the leader of the Kaizen Promotion Office said, this is our opportunity to really help our clinics. And they deployed the team out into the clinics. They did no new improvement, but what they did was they just helped the team understand all of the standard work that had been developed over the last year because mm-hmm. it, um, uh, it was all designed to improve the flow in the clinic and mm-hmm. to, to really think about what is the ideal patient experience. And that team not only um, you know, maintained um, clinic operations, they actually grew their volume. Um, and not just for uh, COVID appointments, but um, others. And we, we have another client who did a, a 50 person Kaizen event um, once the shutdown in Massachusetts was lifted uh, to to strategize um, how to get the clinics back open and operating. They went back to their standard work. So they started from their standard and they built upon that. But I think the thing that I'm left with is um, what comes out is the importance of connection. Mm -hmm. I was just uh, um, on a coaching um, session today with a group that's envisioning what mental health services integrated into a a trust hospital in the UK will look like. And um, they've just finished their work for the week. They did it all virtually. And the one thing that came out was the importance of the two teams who've always been separate coming together, and the thing that united them was um, what's in it for the patient, Um, and then how do we really leverage the talents of the team? So that connection piece is really important. I think, personally, I just appreciate the fact that you are all really smart people, and it's so great to not be alone with the problems. Like You plus the method coming together, we've done some pretty amazing things in the short term. Um, I'm just kind of looking at, the questions, just a, a lot of we you know we're, um, we're using a lot of our our tools, um, and so just a reminder that all of those are on our website for further um, description. Um, Val, you used a term that um, Robbie talks quite a bit about, um, that's the concept of Hansei. Mm-hmm. Um, so, maybe Robbie, do you want to tell us a little bit more about Hansei?
3: Yeah, I'll actually want to chime in also about just the importance of reflection. Um, these days that we have are really, really tough as we go through COVID and we're constantly looking to meet the demand within patient care, but also how did we how do we take care of ourselves during these tough times? Mm-hmm. Some say it's just about reflection. Yeah, what are your thoughts on that? You were you were really getting
4: So, into uh, that. so um, as we know, the Toyota is where we start, and then how do we translate it to our organization in healthcare? And debrief is a common thing you do in many healthcare settings and carry off in others. But I think the thing about the key thing about Hansai is a commitment to being a continuous learning organization. And when executive leadership leads debriefs. It gets you a point of vulnerability about things that maybe didn't go so well, so that you can do an action plan and countermeasures to improve. It's just that continuous improvement about Kaizen. And so, taking a pause and reflecting during this crisis time is really critical. Things are moving so fast. And it also kind of gets to that respect for people, listening to understand and making commitments and sharing information. So um it's a very strong concept um many of you have used it in your clinical areas and it's just really a strong management tool to pair with your continuous improvement.
2: Mm-hmm. You know Melissa um just we're kind of nearing our close but I think you know you and I are in two totally different cities on opposite sides of the country. You're in Boston and we're in Seattle for the most part. And um you know one of my reflections is it's really easy to kind of uh, be siloed in and isolated dealing with your own problems and yet this importance of connection you know and connecting to something is really um really proving to be our our solution our way through this crisis getting to what will be normal in the future because we just don't know but we do know that there's work to do Um, and that there's opportunities um, for improvement, you know, waste never goes away. You know, I think we've all kind of talked about that, that, you know, uh, waste didn't take uh, a vacation when COVID hit. Uh, If anything, it it kind of showed itself more clearly to us all and we've been real active in um, removing waste and helping people see that, you know, waste is the enemy, um, but ideas are the opportunity and engagement. Um, uh, Tad, are you ready to take it back for closing comments? Yep. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Chris. Thank you all very much. Um, It's such a pleasure being a team member with all of you.
0: And that is all the time we have today for questions during this webinar. Thank you, Val, Robbie, Melissa, and Chris for the session. As stated earlier, this webinar is being recorded and will be posted on our website at www.virginiamasoninstitute.org under our resources section. You'll also receive an email with the link to the recording and the Q&A transcript following the session. We also encourage you to explore more content on the resources section of our website, which includes case studies, articles, and improvement tools. And be sure to connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn for news, updates, and upcoming events. If you're interested in continuing your learning, we have a variety of services to help meet your needs, including virtual training, coaching, and organizational transformation services. You can learn more at our website. Again, that is www.virginiamasoninstitute.org. And you may also email us at info at Thanks again, Val, Robbie, Melissa, and Chris, and to everyone who participated in today's webinar.